Sorry, I have tea up here because my throat has been disagreeing with me. I've been out and about for the last few weeks as well. Two weeks ago, I was in, well, three weeks ago, I was in New York City, and then I was in Rockingham, North Carolina. And both of those were opportunities for me to preach um, to middle and high school students. And so this morning, I've been preaching in high school mode, and I've got to shift gears. But I love the intergenerational feel that we have here. The span, the spectrum of ages that's represented here at Grace. It's amazing. And so as I am shifting gears, I'm enjoying it. And really, I love the opportunity to be, you know, proclaiming the word, even if I'm the third string, as uh, Pastor Brad is in Australia, and Sean was at TVR all week. Um, we want to, uh, we want to go ahead, go ahead and turn in our Bibles uh, to Galatians. So grab your Bible. Hopefully you brought your Bible this morning. Um, and turn to Galatians with me. That's Keisha's fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> Through the course of this letter, it's a letter that Paul wrote to many churches in the region of Galatia. Through the course of this letter, he has changed tactics a few times. Now, a lot of you are familiar with tactics from a military perspective. Uh, but what I'm talking about is the actor's perspective. I loved studying acting in college because not only was it really fun to embody and do and say things in a character that I would never normally do, but also acting class is as much a class on psychology as anything else because you're understanding human nature. You have to understand other people in order to play them as an actor. So acting was a phenomenal class, and I wish Melissa was here to hear me say that because uh, I was in that class with her. Um, one of the things that I realized, though, as taking this class, is that tactics for an actor is all about getting what you want from the other person. Tactics refers to getting what you want in that dialogue. There's always that underscore of getting what you want from the other person. So any scene you see in a movie or in a play, there's some tactics happening between those two actors. They're trying to get what they want from the other person. And that really is just like a regular conversation, isn't it? And that's really what we're trying to do. But to do this well in an acting scene, to know the difference of tactics, it's being able to change your tone or change the energy behind what you're saying or change your volume level to get what you want out of that conversation. It's changing tactics. And so Paul has changed tactics throughout the letter to the churches at Galatia. Even though he's been saying the same thing the whole time. He's driving one main point home, but he's changing tactics to do that. So let's look at uh, chapter 1 in just one second. I want to illustrate this because I did this in a way last year. This tactics thing, we, we kind of did this. I had this thought of communicating something to the church family that we did not come to church this morning, but rather you came to be reminded that you are the church. Do you remember me saying this? For those of you who are new, um, this might be the first time you've heard it. Some, some of you have only been here a couple months. This is relatively new. But anybody who was here last year, you remember this. And that's because we said it week after week after week. And I said it in different ways, in different times, sometimes in between songs, sometimes before or after the songs. Sometimes Brad or Sean would include it in the sermon. And so by repetition, 
And by slight changes in how we talked about it, we communicated this truth. That we didn't come to church this morning. You came to a building to be reminded that we are his body, the people. And so we communicated this over and over. And that's what Paul has been doing here in Galatians. As he's doing the exact same thing. So let's look at this. It's one of the many gifts of the printing press is that you have a Bible in front of you. And one of the many gifts of the Holy Spirit is that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and empowers me to read the Scripture and understand it empowers you to read it and understand it. So read it with me. Here in Galatians 1, we're going to look at this first tactic. Kind of skim over it. Some of your Bibles have headings. Those things can be helpful in getting a grasp on big chunks of text. But there's one particular tactic here in Galatians 1. Paul is astonished. He's astonished. He's taken aback that they would turn from the gospel that had been preached to them. And there is an SNL sketch that makes me think of this. I'm not endorsing the show, but there is a a sketch uh, during the weekend update when they cover headlines and celebrity gaps and whatever. There's a guy named Seth, and he has a section called, Really? Really? And so this is what is happening here in Galatians 1. Paul is saying, really? 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 I'm astonished that this is happening. And Paul, he's not mocking with his astonishment. He's dead serious. He's saying, remember, you are free in Christ. How could you forget that? You're not a slave. You're a child of the king. Is this really happening? Now let's look at Galatians 2. In chapter 2, he's coming out of chapter 1. His tactic has now become, do you know who I am? He's shifted from, I'm astonished, to, okay, do you you know who I am? I'm an apostle. I know what I'm talking about. I've, I've gone over this with Peter and those in Jerusalem. I've done this. I know what I'm saying. And we are free from the burdens of the law in Christ. Do you know who's talking to you? And then he shifts tactics again in chapter 3. And this, cha- this tactic is very similar to the first tactic, but instead of focusing inward, he's focusing outward. He was inwardly, I'm astonished. Now he's saying, you are foolish. You're being fools. You're not going to accomplish something in the flesh now that you didn't accomplish in the first place. You're free from the burden of having to keep the law because of Christ. You're in Christ's freedom. And so now he's shifting to my favorite tactic uh, in chapter 4. In chapter 4, he basically says, okay, okay, you want to use the law? We'll use the law. I'll go there. Let's do this. Let's play. I can play this game. And oh, would you look at that? The law's been saying the same thing that I've been saying the whole time, that under the law, we are slaves, and in Christ, we are free. And Christ was the promise all along. If you want to play with the law, let's do it. So here in chapter 5, we arrive to where we're at this morning. Uh, We've been preaching through Galatians for several weeks. All of that is available on the interwebs if you want to go and check out these sermons by Pastor Brad and Sean. Um, We'll be continuing through this in a little bit too. But this morning we're in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and he's going to shift tactics again. And this time, he's continuing to hammer home the same point. But he says, you know, we were once slaves. 
but now we are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, why would we want to return to slavery? And in some ways, we shouldn't be too surprised. I mean, history repeats itself, right? You think of the people of Israel who were delivered from very literal slavery and promised a land, and they go, and they're going to get it, and then at one point, they were like, can't we just return to our slavery? That's a story for another time. So let's read this text. Um, if you stand with me, as is our custom to, to read through, um, from Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you'd be seated. Uh, before I feel comfortable praying, I want to make a few clarifying comments about this last verse. Um, I have said a few things over the years that I regret saying from the pulpit. Words that were inappropriate for this context. But I have never said this. Uh, in your translation, it might be a slightly different word. Uh, we're using the ESV, and some of the other translations, <laughs> it gets a little bit more graphic. And it is pretty graphic. I mean, Paul is very explicit here. This is very, very strong language. This is circumcision to the next level, if you will. <laughs> and this is something that you only say if you're sufficiently angry. But Paul, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Jesus loves everybody. And God is love, right? So you may hear people say, how, how can God be love and also have wrath? How, how can God be angry at me if he loves me? Well, I submit to you that it is precisely because God loves you that he gets angry. And it's precisely because of Paul's love for the church at Galatia that he gets mad. So think about it. If you love somebody, your passions are moved more deeply and more quickly. When you see somebody that you love being harmed or being abused, your sense of justice and love is activated at the same time and you get angry. If you see someone uh, abusing themselves, 
you get mad at them for them because you love them. And you want them to live in truth as opposed to abuse. If you see abuse, if you see harm and you don't get angry, it's because you don't care. So if an infinitely loving God sees his beloved child being harmed by evil or abusing themselves in sin, if he didn't act, we could say he didn't care. But God sent his own son to die, to absorb his anger at what we choose to do. So love can be angry. Think about it this way. Love is an indication of value. If I love something, I give it high, high value. And we are so valuable to God. The highest value that he gave of himself. Because his love and his anger at evil was so great because of how much he loved us. He gave of himself for our salvation. That's high value. That's a lot of love. And that's an anger that's okay. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word that points to Jesus. That every, every word and every line uh, points to him and he points to you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You have shown yourself. I pray you would continue to do that, that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be made alive as we consider the gospel in this text and as we rest in your love. Amen. So why was Paul so angry? Because he loved them, right? But he also loved Jesus. So jump back all the way to Galatians 1, verse 6, or just look at the screen. Uh, This is where he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The key word here is you are so quickly deserting him. This is personal because the person and work of Jesus is the gospel. So these people who had come in to the churches in Galatia and were telling something different, they made it personal because they were devaluing the person of Jesus. They were abusing the work of the cross. They were relegating the suffering of the Messiah to a lower place. So Paul's love for Jesus moved him deeply and quickly and caused him to get angry. And remember, we can, we can be angry and not choose to sin. It is so unfortunate, this is an aside, <laughs> it's so unfortunate that anger and sin are so closely linked in our minds and in our hearts because there are things about which we should be genuinely angry. But we sometimes bury those beneath the weight of being tolerant or being accepting because we're afraid of being mean and we're afraid of acting in sin. And this fear actually points us to uh, a deep truth that Paul is communicating. And it's central to this passage. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is another phrasing of the same theme that's been running all the way through Galatians. Um, we have been set free 
from slavery to the law and the flesh and set free to sonship, freedom in God's family. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So notice these two pivotal prepositions that I've been using. We've been set free from, set free to. We could say that we've been saved from and saved to. Saved from death, from sin, from despair. And saved to life and freedom and joy. That's really the second point. So the second point of this passage found in verse 6. In Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision, your lack of of effort or your effort it's not the point it doesn't matter it doesn't count for anything for the people that he's writing to circumcision is the prime symbol of what we could do to participate in the covenant with God but after Christ that symbol is no longer necessary to be a part of the covenant in his blood so this symbol of our effort it doesn't count for anything because hear this You cannot do enough to earn God's good grace. And you cannot do enough to ruin God's love for you in Christ. So your effort or your lack of effort doesn't count for anything. The gospel is that you are worse than you ever feared you could be. And you are loved more than you ever can imagine. Christ lived the life that you couldn't. And then he died your death. And he was raised to prove that you can live if you believe. And make him the object of your faith. And that's where this is. Your faith then works itself out through love. So remember the seed that I talked about uh, with the kids? um, That we're going to sing about in a couple weeks. That seed of faith on the inside. It works itself out bearing fruit, and it's motivated by love. So the tactic, ultimately, that Paul is taking here in chapter 5, is a little bit more subtle than, really? At least it's subtle until verse 12. (laughs) But before he gets angry, his tactic is almost, uh, been there, done that. We've been slaves before, remember? Slaves to sin and death, and we've been set free from that slavery, and set free to freedom. So don't put slavery back on. Don't reattach chains because it is a continual freedom that we live and walk in from the faith that is working in us through love by the power of the Spirit. We've been set free for freedom. So the freedom wasn't just one moment when we chose to believe, but freedom is every moment. We were set free for freedom. This is where we'll pick up um, as we continue through Galatians. We're going to take a couple weeks, though, in between to kind of focus on some other themes, especially as students return um, and vacationing families return from all their migrations. Um, So in the meantime, over the next couple weeks, read through Galatians. Um, Be familiar with where we're going to go. Look at the tactics that Paul takes in the rest of 5 and in chapter 6 because he's driving home the same point that we are saved from slavery saved to sonship 
We are saved from death and saved to life. We are saved from fear and saved to love. And that's where we'll spend the last of our time today. Uh, in this distinction between fear and love. So remember what I said to the kids again, like my little illustration? Um, I did clear that with my wife before sharing it. Um, but that's, that's what it is at, that's a, that is what is at work in this passage. Um, because if circumcision or uncircumcision, if our effort or the lack of effort on our part counts towards God's pleasure with us, <laughs> then we are motivated by fear. If we have to do something for God to be pleased with us, then we are motivated by fear, right? And this is how to understand Paul's harsh words in these in-between verses. Uh, in the rest of this chunk of 1 through 12, Christ is of no advantage to someone living in and motivated by fear. And you are not living in grace if all that you do is motivated by fear. Fear of what will happen if you're not good enough. Fear of uh, if you don't do the right things. Fear of failure. Before we know it, fear will be the motivation for any and all of our activities that we claim to accomplish for God. And that creates a kind of slavery. Um, <laughs> since we can never actually be good enough, but we think that we can, it's kind of like putting a shackle on an 18-wheeler in neutral and on our leg and then saying we're going to run a half marathon. Oh, it's moving. Yeah, look at that. Or, or some of us, for me, actually, it'd be just putting on the shoes and saying that we're going to run a half marathon um, in the first place. <laughs> I've got positive movement, right? I put the shoes on, yeah. But spiritually speaking, we cannot run anywhere without the power of the Spirit, without the Spirit at work in us through Christ. We can't run anywhere. So think about it. I mean, Paul is saying later on, you were running well. This whole metaphor of running happens all throughout Paul's letters. He liked the Olympics. Um, I don't know how many of you are watching it. We don't have... Good enough uh, antenna to pick up NBC, so we can watch clips, I guess. But Paul loved the metaphor of sport and unpacking it on a spiritual level. And so he refers to running a lot. And in this particular passage, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you? What is happening? Why did you decide to shackle yourself again? Because they had received the gospel. They had begun to walk in it. And that's stuff we'll talk about later in chapter 5. But something, something twisted, because we can never accomplish it on our own, but we think that we can. We see, we, we see a glimpse of something that looks like movement in the right direction, and something good, and so we keep pushing that boulder up the unending hill. And unfortunately, that's a slavery that a lot of us are living in, particularly people in the rural south. Um, just, just do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, and then God will have to be nice to me. But that's playing by the rules of the law. And the law says, you're going to keep me, you've got to keep all of it. And that's what Paul says. If you're going to go that route, you've got to go the whole way. And the law itself then tells us, uh, you can't do this. 
You have to keep it all or it's broken. So Paul said, remember, you were running well. <laughs> You're in a race. Why did you put on shackles? Why the holdup? What, what's going on? And what I think is that fear is most certainly one of the shackles, if you will, of legalism or religious traditionalism. Because fear can bind us to the law and make us attempt to carry it out on our own strength. So thank God that he has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? So this morning, consider your motivations. Fear or love? Why are you here? Why do you pray? Why do you give? Is it fear? Is it fear of what others are going to think? Is it fear of what you think about yourself? Is it fear of God's pleasure or displeasure? Because let, let me remind you, the essential thing for us here is that Jesus Christ really lived, and he really died, and he really raised from the dead. And this changes everything. Because in him who took the curse for us, who broke death for us, God is completely pleased with you. So this morning, believe this. Nurture the faith that is in you so that it will manifest itself in love. So come on Sunday mornings because you love Jesus. You love his people. Not because you're afraid of something. Come because you want to worship the one you love and because he so deeply loved you. Pray to the one who loves you as opposed to the one you're afraid of. Pray because you want to express your love to him. Give because you love his kingdom. Because he gave and gives everything that you'll never need. Don't give for any other reason than for his pleasure, out of love for him. Rest in a love that is so complete that you can never break it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's an important distinction that sometimes gets hacked off when that verse gets used. Paul reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us when we are in Christ. So why, why the holdup? Why the shackles? Why the law again? You're in Christ. There's no need for fear. So run well, motivated out of love. Ultimately, it's either fear or love that motivates us. And it's either slavery or sonship that we choose to walk in. And lastly, it's either circumcision or Jesus Christ that we believe for our salvation. So believe Jesus. <laughs> Be saved from your fear and saved to love him. Love your brothers and sisters and love the people around you. And continue to read this letter from Paul to the church, churches at Galatia. And you'll begin to see what this looks like. We also have an opportunity um, at the end of each month to see what some of this looks like. Because uh, we take this benevolence offering at the end of the service. This is over and above the tithe that we give 
Um, it's over and above our offerings, and it's separate from our budget. It's a place uh, from which we can give to immediate needs, serious things that pop up unforeseen, um, pressing needs in our church family and in our community. Because they will know, the world will know, that we're his disciples by how we love each other. This is one of the ways that we love. So would you pray with me?